So, have you ever asked the question in your life, why in the world is my life so complicated? I have asked that question for so many years, and I remember when I was younger, you know, and I kept thinking, I can't wait till I'm an adult because I'll get to make decisions for myself and I'll get to have all this freedom, only to recognize that when you become an adult, Life gets more and more complicated, and it starts at very basic small things, right? Just what's for dinner, <laughs> right? Like when it's 5 o'clock and you and your spouse are both driving home from different areas and you have no dinner plan, kind of turns a little bit of an issue, right? What do you want, honey? No, what do you want, honey? Well, what do you want, honey? No, 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 What do you want? Well, I kind of like with this. Uh, I don't really like that. Let's try this, right? We know how that goes. So dinner's complicated. Buying the perfect pair of jeans is complicated. Is anybody with me on this? I mean, there's light colored, there's dark colored, there's thick, there's thin, there's skinny, there's straight, there's uh, flare, there's boot cut, there's cut offs. Like, I mean, there are so many choices of jeans that it's not just as easy as, hey, just going into the jean store, finding what you want. Other things are complicated. <laughs> How would you like to be the guy in the car behind this guy? when he orders that drink. I mean, this unsuspecting poor barista had no idea what she was coming to work for that day when he ordered, this is the most complicated Starbucks drink that I found on Instagram this past week. Crazy, crazy, crazy. This, uh, all right, so first of all, I don't know about you, but passwords are complicated for me. They're so complicated. And it's like, I'll log in, I'll set it up, and then for some reason, they decided in, with well-meaning intentions, I'm sure, that I, they wanted to test me if I remembered my password. And I don't. I never do. Um, but Google did say this was the best password to use, which it's kind of funny that they would say this is the best password to use because now we all know it. Uh, but I just want a word of advice if you choose to use this password, don't ever log out of the program that you just logged into uh, because you're never getting in that thing again. So uh, that's complicated. Passwords are complicated. Taxes are complicated. Anybody with me on this? Taxes. You grow up and you got to realize, it's like, what? I have to understand taxes now. I found this paragraph. A taxpayer is allowed a deduction for the repayment to the extent the repayment is not deducted and arriving at the taxpayer's adjusted gross income in the current taxable year. If the repayment is more than $3,000, the, de the deduction is the amount of the repayment. If the repayment is $3,000 or less, the deduction is the amount of repayment less 2% of the adjusted gross income. If you understood anything that I just said, I want to be your friend because I need you to interpret this for me, okay? Taxes are complicated. Relationship statuses are complicated. I found this one this week. We, we're more than friends, but less than a couple. Now, I just want to advise you, please don't use this as your relationship status going forward in the future. Something tells me there's a man smiling somewhere, pretty proud of himself that he's created this relationship status. But I'm just saying life is complicated. It is not always easy to understand. And then we come to church. And then we come to church and we ask questions like, or am I going to know anybody? Am I going to be asked to do anything? Or why am I asked to give money? Or am I going to resonate with the preaching and the music? Is that even going to make sense? 
Um, will we know anybody there? Are my children going to like it? And so we ask all these questions that feel very complicated and they're very true. We've all asked them when we walk into a new environment, especially a new church. We're asking all these questions and still we can walk away kind of confused about what the church is really about. I mean, that's just the honest truth. And to make matters, you know, m more complicated, I, you know, in my, you know, in my experience of doing this for 27 years, I've learned that churches... Uh, the church has been insensitive, change-averse, resistant, and disengaged from the world it is here to serve, unfortunately. Now, I'm, I'm proud to say that at the summit, we try to be extremely mindful of this and try to be aware of these temptations and try to go the other way. We truly want to be a church that meets our culture at the intersection of relevancy. That's, we really want to be that kind of church. But unfortunately, speaking about the broader church at large, the church has been insensitive. Now, <clears throat> here's the interesting thing. She has been led by leaders and decision makers who have been insensitive, change-averse, resistant, and disengaged from the world it is here to serve. A lot of the churches that we've been in, that we've been in, You've been in, I've, and hey, if the summit is your first church experience, oh man, I'm so jealous of you because I wish this was my first church experience. Uh, it wasn't. I had some harsh church experiences. But if this is your church experience, we're so glad you're here and we're so glad that you're cutting your teeth in this kind of an environment, which a lot of you probably in this room, this was not your first church you've ever been to. And you've probably got some stories to tell about that. But unfortunately, the church has been led by leaders and decision makers. Sometimes it's the pastor. Sometimes the pastor is just insensitive, change averse, resistant, disengaged. No, we're not changing. We like things the way that they are. Sometimes the pastor is like, no, we need to change. But the decision makers that are around the pastor who help him kind of lead the church, like, no, 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 no. Pastor, we love you. We love your family. We're so glad you're here. We just want you to do your thing on Sunday and don't change anything, right? And that's unfortunately the story of a lot of churches. And hence, we look insensitive. We look change-averse. We look resistant. And we look disengaged from the rest of the world. Now, we've all experienced a lot of challenges in the church. Again, I've been doing this for 27 years as a pastor, now executive pastor, and I've got a lot of different stories to tell, but some of the common denominators of challenges that I've heard people share, and from my own experience, my wife and I, here's some of the challenges that we've experienced. Irrelevance. The church is serving a culture that no longer exists. A lot of churches are serving a culture with traditions, but that culture no longer exists. It did 50, 60, 70 years ago, but it doesn't now. And th this was my story. A lot of you maybe didn't grow up in church. You grew up in maybe a legalistic church or, you know, whatever. My church experience was it was just irrelevant, and therefore I thought God was irrelevant. Big mistake. I thought church was irrelevant, so I thought God was irrelevant. Big mistake. So irrelevance is a big deal. Resistance to change. Our traditions are next to godliness. We'll preach. Our traditions are next to godliness. We believe in the traditions we hold, and if we execute those traditions and how we do church, that means we're more godly, right? And plus, we resist change because we fear the unknown. We all do. We all want to stay in a comfort zone. We, we love the comfort zone. We don't want to be uncomfortable because it forces us to change. 
So we fear the unknown a little bit, but God is constantly challenging us to step out into waters we've never been in. But resistance to change has been a big, big deal for the church. Rules versus relationship. This is a really gross, sick challenge that the church has had. And for somewhere along the way, the church adopted a mindset that if you know more about scripture, you know more about spiritual things, that you have greater spiritual status than everybody else in the church. So you're smarter and you have greater control over people. And this is sick and this is gross. And this is a huge misuse of power. However, the church should be known for it's a roadmap for my life. I'm trying to figure out God's will and the church, God wants the church to be the kind of place that helps us figure out the roadmap for our life. Do I go in this direction? Do I go in this direction? Do I do, you know, that kind of thing. That's the place, that's what God's desire is for it to be. Another challenge, intentions versus impact. This is a big one. So <clears throat> there have been times throughout history that the church has had well-meaning intentions to try to fix a problem or address an issue in the culture. And with good intentions, unfortunately, the church took an approach that was offensive to the people it was trying to help. And it left a negative impact. You and I have done this before. We've had good intentions in trying to help people, counsel people, encourage people, you know, whatever, friends, relationships, whatever. We've had good intentions with our children, spouse, friend, whatever. Good intentions at our job. All of a sudden, the way we go about doing it, though, our approach that we took becomes offensive. It becomes hurtful and leaves a negative impact. The church has been guilty of this. It had, it had good intentions, well-meaning intentions, but it chose an approach that was offensive and left a negative impact. And finally, this is something that I've dealt with, and this is something that I think some of you have dealt with. Church hurt is one of these things where if you attend a church for a while, um, you're probably going to be disappointed in something somewhere somehow, right? But church hurt is a little bit different because it's, it's where you personally feel hurt by somebody that's in charge, maybe the pastor, maybe a Sunday school teacher, maybe a small group leader, maybe a, uh, a, 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 a children's volunteer ministry worker who, you know, there's... There's generally some sort of church hurt that we've experienced if we've, if we've been around this for a while. And this was something that I dealt with early on my first four years of ministry. It rocked me about four years of, uh, of an experience that I didn't know if I ever wanted to go back in ministry again. And what I learned through that experience is hurt that is unresolved leads to cynicism. Okay. Hurt that is unresolved leads to cynicism. And cynicism leads to becoming a cynic. And cynics, obviously, are bitter, negative. They see no hope for blah, blah, blah. They throw the baby out with the bathwater. That's no good. Don't ever blah, blah, blah. And what you're hearing is they never dealt with their hurt. And church hurt's a big deal. And pastors are held accountable, and they need to be responsible. They're not perfect, but it's just a real thing that we have to deal with at the challenges of the church, right? Well, as we move into our scripture and the story that I want to share with you, there was a very complicated challenge that hit the church early on in, 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 its, in its life stage. 
And so it's about 25 years after Jesus has died and rose again. And um, it, the, the, uh, the hub of Christianity is all in Jerusalem. And Paul and Barnabas, if you remember the story about Paul, Paul was the guy who used to persecute Christians. And then one day Jesus knocked him off his horse and said, you're going to serve me for the rest of your life. He said, okay, you look bigger and more powerful than me, so I'm going to serve you, Jesus. And so he did. And so he became an ambassador, a preacher of the gospel. Um, and so what he did is after his conversion moment, he and Barnabas, his, uh, his fellow missionary friend, they went about 500 miles north of Jerusalem to a city called Antioch in a place called Syria. And they started preaching the gospel, and, uh, and, and the Gentiles started getting saved. The reason this was a big deal was up until that point, all the disciples, means learner, who turned apostles after Jesus' death, which means sent forth, all the disciples that were turned apostles were all Jewish. Well, now all of a sudden, Paul and Barnabas are up in Antioch, this Gentile world, meaning me and you, people like me and you that are not Jewish, they're starting to get saved. They're starting to put their faith in Jesus. And Paul and Barnabas are just like going nuts, like this is amazing. And all of a sudden, these guys come in and go, hey, um, we want to preach in your church this Sunday. And I would imagine Paul said, okay. And so uh, this guy stands up and he says, hey, listen, unless you guys are circumcised and follow the Mosaic law, you can't be saved. And all of a sudden, Paul and Barnabas were like, what did he just say? Like, have you ever been in a meeting? It's like somebody said something like, no, he didn't just say that. No, she didn't just say it. What did he just say? All right, so here's what he said. Circumcision was the physical mark on a Jewish male that resembled the covenant that God had for the Jewish people. It was the physical mark on every Jewish male that resembled the covenant that God had for his people. Here's what they were saying to those Gentile uh, becoming Christians people there in Antioch. Here's what they were saying. They were saying, hey, Gentile men, me, me and you guys in this room, hey, Gentile men, if you want to follow Jesus, you need to have surgery. And obviously, uh, Paul and Barnabas are like, what? This isn't what Jesus preached. And not just have surgery. You need to follow the 613 laws that God gave to Moses. That's why we call it the Mosaic Law that God gave to Moses with the Ten Commandments and the rest of the 613 laws that God gave from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And he said, you've got to follow all the Mosaic Law that all the Jews do and apply to their life if you really want to be saved. And Paul and Barnabas are like, no way. And we have a church fight. Have y'all ever seen a church fight before? <laughs> We've got a church fight. Paul and Barnabas and these dudes start, the Bible says they start arguing vehemently. Now, I, I don't know if a, if, a, if a fist was thrown in this conversation. I just know that they were, the Bible says they were arguing vehemently. So the church said, hey, let's just kind of pause the fight for a second. 
Paul and Barnabas, can you guys go down to Jerusalem? Take, go 500 miles south, down in Jerusalem to the hub of Christianity. Y'all go talk to the apostles and the elders. Interesting how Jesus, when he left the earth, he said, go into all the world, make disciples. Interesting how all the apostles were still in Jerusalem. Anyway, I just thought, thought that was interesting. Anyway, so Paul and Barnabas are on the way down to Jerusalem. They're stopping in Phoenicia and Samaria, and they're going, guys, you're not going to believe. The Gentiles are starting to believe. They're putting their faith in Jesus. It's amazing. We can't believe it. This has never happened before. This is completely different than anything we've ever seen. And uh, so they get to the church, and the, the, the apostles, you know, the guys that actually walked with Jesus, they're all there, and the elders. And, and Paul and Barnabas are like, guys, you're not going to believe it. These amazing things started to happen. And all of a sudden, these dudes who used to be ex-Pharisees said, we insist, the scripture says, they said, we insist that these new Gentile converts be circumcised and follow the Mosaic law. They have to have surgery if they're going to become a Christ follower. And they have to apply these 613 rules in their life if it's going to be legit. Now, all of a sudden, it starts getting heated again. And so, the Bible says that the apostles and the elders kind of stepped away and they started talking about this. Well, Peter finally stands up. You guys know Peter. <clears throat> Peter followed. He was one of Jesus' disciples. And Peter stood up and said, guys, listen, listen, listen. God has given the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles too, along with us. And he said, as a matter of fact, by you even saying all this, okay, by you saying we need to follow this, you are challenging God. You are challenging God. Your bad theology is challenging God, and you are putting a yoke on the back of these Gentile believers that they will never be able to live up to because we couldn't either. Asking them to follow the Mosaic law, we couldn't, and guess what? They won't be able to as well. And I'm convinced that we're all saved together by the undeserved grace of Jesus Christ. And Paul and Barnabas, again, they're like, guys, I'm telling you, we saw signs, we saw wonders, we saw things that only God could do. We didn't fabricate this. We saw stuff we've never seen before. People came to faith. It was so exciting. I'm telling you, it's real. It was amazing. So then James, James finally stands up and he, he addresses the whole group. And he said, guys, do you remember, you remember when God visited Actually, it was Abraham. Remember when God visited Abraham back in the Old Testament, back in Genesis? And he said, I'm going to, you're going to be the father of many nations, and I'm going to make a people out of you. And I'm going to call you out, and you and all your descendants are going to be my people. And you know how, as we read the Old Testament, have you heard how the prophets, if we refer back to our Old Testament, the prophets said this was going to happen. They predicted it. They predicted that the Gentiles were going to do this. They predicted we don't, we don't need to teach circumcision and Mosaic law. There's a new sheriff in town. Jesus has come and told us to do something completely different now because we couldn't fulfill the law and neither can they. And then James drops a bomb on the whole group and he casts vision for the direction of the church. And this is what he said. And he said, and so my judgment, based on all this that we have shared with you today, is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. 
So my challenge for us as a church, my challenge for us as a church, to you, to all of us, is this. We have the difficult responsibility of keeping the church from becoming difficult. We have the difficult responsibility from keeping the church from becoming difficult. The reason it becomes difficult is because we're complicated people. We're difficult people sometimes. And it's easy for any business or for any church to turn insider after you've been there for a while. You don't even see the outsiders. And it becomes so focused on itself and how are we going to survive and how we are going to pay our bills and how we're going to do this. And we stop recognizing there are people on the outside we need to be caring about. And the drift is toward complexity, not toward simplicity. The drift in your company is toward complexity, not simplicity. The drift in the church is toward complexity, not simplicity. The drift in your life is toward complexity, not simplicity. I mean, that's easy to see. It's like this. Imagine a snowball that is at the top of a mountain, and that snowball starts picking up speed. And you guys, like me, when it snows, we like to go out in the snow and see if we can build a snowman and start, you know, build the thing and roll it and, you know, that kind of thing. So when, this, when a snowball is rolling down a mountain, imagine as it's coming down the mountain, it starts picking up these twigs and these pine cones and these leaves and these, this dirt these branches, and finally it gets to the bottom of the mountain, and you're looking at it like, that's a massive, it's like, you know, there's a branch, there's a twig, there's a shoe in there somehow, we don't know how that got in there, but like, it picked up something on the way down, and that's a lot like what the gospel message is for us. It's been passed down to us 2,000 years, and this message has been rolling and rolling and rolling all through these centuries. And it's come to us, and part of our job as believers, as pastors, part of our job is to go, okay, what's, what's central to the message of Jesus and what, what's not? Like, I don't know how that got in there, and that's ugly, and that's dirty, and that's unnecessary. But part of our job as leaders and as Christ, as Christ followers is to recognize what's essential to the message and what got picked up along the way that needs to get dropped, we have the difficult responsibility to keep the church from becoming difficult. So how do we make it a safe space? How do we help our church be a safe place for people to find Jesus? The first thing we got to do is we got to serve the 2021 culture. And next year, we're going to serve the 2022 culture. And the following year, we're going to serve the 2023 culture. Our fear around her is we're going to, de we're going to develop a ministry strategy that serves a culture that no longer exists. And when 2020 hit, what did we all do? You did this in your business. We did this in our church. Completely shifted. Everything goes online. Ministry programming for kids goes online. Ministry programming for adults goes online. We went to Zoom groups. We went, uh, you know, Pastor Jonathan's teaching in empty rooms. Like everything was on, like uh, online giving uh, platforms that we had invested in years ago. There was a lot of things that we had done. Little did we know a pandemic was going to hit and we would be set up for it. We had no idea. And a lot of churches weren't ready for it. But I say that to say, whatever year we find ourselves in, our goal is to serve that culture not one that doesn't exist anymore. And you guys can help us with that. So we're going to serve the 2021 culture. Number two, 
we're going to wrestle with tough questions instead of giving trite answers. We're going to wrestle with tough questions instead of giving trite answers. Um, I, I'll never forget uh, my, uh, my seminary days back in the late 90s, and it's actually where uh, Pastor Jonathan and I met. And, um, and so much of my education and classes were all around, okay, what does God say about this? What does God say about that? What does God say about this issue? What does God say about that issue? And that was so helpful for me because it gave me some answers to share. But then the culture now puts you in situations where it's kind of like, did God, you know, when you go look for the chapter and verse about that particular issue, there isn't one. And so we're forced to ask better questions now and what are the tough questions that we need to be asking? Not is it wrong or right, is it wise? Like that's an example of one. But what are the tough questions we need to be talking about? And the other thing I'm learning with this, wrestling with tough questions instead of giving trite answers, when people are dealing with tough situations in their life and they're coming to us for, for the answer of is this okay, sometimes the best thing we can do is say, tell me your story. Just tell me your story. And the most, the biggest thing you can do for people and show them dignity is listening to them. You want to win friends and influence people? Just listen to people. That's the greatest amount of dignity that you can give to them is listening to them. So we're going to wrestle with tough questions instead of giving tried answers. Third, we're going to extend grace as we all live between God's ideal and what's real. We're going to extend grace as we all live between God's ideal and what's real. We're even going to preach God's ideal. Now, a lot of us, we have fallen short of God's ideal, right? All of us have. This is why Jesus came. And what happens is when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, the righteousness of God is now on you. So when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. But the reality is some of the real situations in our life are eating our lunch. There are things that you're getting counseling about right now because the struggle is real in your life. There are tears that you have shed this week because of something that is very real in your life and you don't know how to handle. There's a very real situation with somebody in your family that you don't know what to do. There's a very real situation with your family that causes a fight every time you're together. There's a very real situation that you personally deal with and you're just going, am I ever going to beat this? And so let's extend grace with each other as we all live between God's ideal and what's real because our tendency is to accuse others and excuse ourselves. So we want to give grace, and we also as leaders, and you guys know this because Jonathan's done a wonderful job saying this, but we have people in our church on all sides of every issue, and we have to be careful to walk right down the middle exactly what Jesus did. And so we have to be very careful how we handle that. Fourth, we want to believe the potential of the church is greater than its problems. We want to believe the potential of the church is greater than its problems. I want to be honest to tell you right now, I've been doing church ministry for 27 years, and I've seen a lot of bad stuff, and I've seen more, I've seen enough negative things to make me go, I'm done with that. But I truly do believe, and I'm committed to the fact 
that I believe that the potential of the church is greater than its problems because I've seen too many amazing things that God has done through his church in the past. I've seen too many things. We got to believe that the potential of the church is greater than its problems. Now, we're so glad that you're watching on screens. We think it's wonderful that we can provide a service for you that you can watch wherever you are. And believe me, I loved it back in March when I had back surgery and I'm laying in my bed at home and I can't move. I was so grateful to have screens. But the screens are not going to come visit you in the hospital. The screens are not going to pray for your wayward child. The screens are not going to console you when your marriage is blowing up. You need people around you. We need people around us. I was talking to uh, some of our serve directors recently, and I'm going, you know, where else can you go in the community? And as a church, we provide lunches for our first responders at our Oak Ridge location. Where else can you go in the community? And here at our Kernersville location, we're giving uh, single moms free oil changes. Where else do you go if you're feeling broken and you need to talk to somebody and we, we have uh, people here at our church who could, who could counsel and help and direct you on how to find help? Who else is doing this in the community? We've got to believe that the potential of the church is greater than its problems, and it really, really is. And finally... Remember what it felt like to be lost yourself. Remember what it felt like to be lost yourself. People that remember what it felt like to be lost remember a sense of despair and frustration and hurt and loneliness before Jesus. I did. I do. And people that remember what it felt like to be lost, y'all, this is why we have to do this. And it's one word, and it's one of the most powerful words I've learned in my life this year. It's my, it's my word for the year, and I, it's too long to go into it, but here's why. When we remember what it felt like to be lost, we have empathy. We have empathy for people. And that empathy drives us to create programming for lost people, to create sermons for lost people, to find music that relates to lost people, children's programming that will relate to families who have no spiritual foundation at all. If we forget what it's like to be lost, There will be people that walk in the doors of our church and they won't come back. Rick Warren said years ago, he said, when God wants to bring a bunch of spiritual babies in your church, he'll find the warmest incubator in town. Can we be that? I mean, isn't that the vision? So if your son comes to you one day and says, Dad, I'm going to give God one more try. And I'm going to come to your church Sunday because I'm going to give him one more try. I'm frustrated in my life, but I'm going to trust you and I'm going to come to your church Sunday. Or if you have a friend, she's, going to, she's about to get a divorce. She has had it. 
she is discouraged and depressed and she tells you that she's just broken and she tells you that she's going to come to your church this Sunday, guess what? You think about your church differently that day. If it's me and you, and I know that I, I can guarantee you felt this way because I have. Haven't you ever had that feeling of, God, I let you down again? That thing that I've struggled with, I succumbed to it again. And I'm so frustrated and mad at myself and I feel far from you and I just want to feel close to you again. Where do you go to feel that? This is why it's so important that we do the difficult job of keeping the church from becoming difficult. And don't just do it for yourself. Do it for your children and do it for your grandchildren because they will be sitting where you are one day. I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for this gift of the church that you've given to us. It is a beautiful mess. And we're all a part of it. And because we're all a part of it, it's broken. But because you're a part of it, it's outstanding. And God, we come from different places. Everybody under the sound of my voice right now, we come from different backgrounds, different church experiences. And I know there's questions, but God, there's hope. And help us to be the kind of people that serve this generation, this culture, that wrestle with tough questions rather than give tried answers. Help us to be the kind of people that can live between the ideal and the real, pursuing the ideal and being honest about the real. Help us believe that the potential of, this, of, of the church is greater than the problems. And God, may we never forget what it was like to be lost and help us maintain our empathy because God, we need you. And it's in Jesus' name.